There are many books that people say are good, or even great, but how to know which ones you should read? Christian and Jonas will help you decide as they discuss great literature. Boring! Isn't the second season of Serial out? I would rather just listen to that. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Welcome to this episode of Outside of a Dog, where we will smell our own farts and discuss our previous episodes. Sounds lovely. My name is Jonas Hock, as you should know by now, after listening to a year's worth of these podcast episodes. And my name is Dr. Christian Schneider. Yeah, I have a PhD. Even though it's hard to tell, because apparently you know less about literature than somebody who simply has a BA. You're not talking about yourself. Well, my degree is more BS than BA, I would say, so... And PhD might stand for publicly hating Disney? Pretty huge dick. <laughs> Even though if you were publicly hating Disney on this podcast, I would violently disagree with you. Because I think the Walt Disney Corporation... We're not talking about Disney here. I mean, though. they are, of course... We're not talking about Disney But you know, here. still... We're not talking about Disney. And Marvel! What we will be talking about today is our previous episodes, because this is our anniversary episode. Happy anniversary! What did you get me? Um... There's always that one thing that you miss and you think, Ah, oh, I wanted to bring that up. And there's always this one thing that you only come across afterwards, which makes much more sense than when you actually recorded the episode. Let us start at the very beginning. The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. Oh boy. It's interesting that we both started with something we really disliked, because I think the episodes where we dislike something are the most interesting ones, really. The thing is, I really don't dislike The Wasteland, and I think that... We just dislike T.S. Eliot. That is something that most people who listened to that first episode told us, that we misread Eliot, and we didn't do justice to The Wasteland. And that is something I would agree definitely with. I, I was surprised, though, to find that he has such a dedicated following. Um, a lot of people around me, a lot of my friends came up to me and said, oh, I really love T.S. Eliot. And I said, really? I, I, I never became so apparent to me. But apparently T.S. Eliot really hits on something that still gives people a lot. And I mean, it is something that we still can relate to, to a certain degree. We just focused on where we said, well, yeah, it doesn't work all the way and there are aspects to his view that are really alienating but that is something that I think we could say for every single entry on this list always a view that turns it all around and makes things that you really like seem horrible or things that you think are horrible are exactly the things someone else really likes it's also interesting how The Wasteland really set the tone for everything that we read. What this year of podcasting about great literature really showed me is how much we are caught in our time, in a postmodern time that is still deeply influenced by a modernist view of the world. This searching for sense, this knowledge that it is impossible to find sense or a point to life. And that's something that we've found in basically every book we've read. Even the pre-modern ones, Tristram Shandy, Macbeth. Another interesting theme that I was surprised to find was, of course, sexual abuse and rape, which was not so much present in The Wasteland, but in our second episode on Lolita. For Lolita, I actually had a point that I wanted to bring up and forgot to bring up. It's interesting that Humbert Humbert really doesn't enjoy anything except for sex with underage girls. Everything else in his life is miserable. 
I still would not say that he's a sympathetic character or a character you should feel sorry for, but he's a very sad character, definitely. One thing that we mentioned, but maybe is worth mentioning once again, is the unreliability. Because Lolita is so obvious in the unreliability of Humbert that it has become the poster child for unreliability as a concept. That, again, might seem so obvious at times that it might put you off the novel to a certain degree. I can understand people saying, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, he's a monster, but he writes beautifully, so what? I read a list of books that women should not read recently, which was a response to a list by Esquire magazine about books that a man should read. And they put Lolita on the list of books that women should not read. And I was infuriated by that. This is such a narrow-minded view, because yes, the book is about a horrible act of sexual violence, but it is so not endorsing it. I would just like to reiterate that Lolita will be one of the greatest reading experiences of anyone's life. Actually, part of why we started the podcast was that, well, at least I felt that I really don't read enough for a graduate student of English literature. And the first great classic that actually neither of us had read was To Kill a Mockingbird. And it is a book that I've come back to repeatedly that I've thought of very often throughout the year. It was definitely a surprise. And we also talked about when we recorded the episode that the sequel, Go Set a Watchman, had just come out, basically, or was about to come out. And we said that we would probably read it. I haven't read it. Neither have I, actually. (laughs) But it was interesting to see how controversial that book was for its perceived... Degrading of, of Atticus Finch. People are really in love with this character, which was something that we kind of criticized. But it also shows the iconic nature of The Kill a Mockingbird as a book and as a film. Something that we also didn't talk about was more about Scout's perspective, her perspective of growing up, of admiring her dad so much and still not understanding everything he does. Well, maybe that's just something too... For us too old geezers. (laughs) Too youngish man, too old man. just didn't get that as much. Get off my lawn! I don't think there's a lot more to say about Tristram Shandy. I mean, there is a lot more to say about Tristram Shandy. I had a great experience with this book when I recommended it to some of my students in my tutorial this semester. And then the next week, one of my students came up to me and showed me that she had actually purchased the book and that she was reading it now. And I hope that maybe our podcast does something similar and some of you check out some of the books that you hadn't read before that we did an episode on. The next episode was on Watchmen. And so we went and set a Watchmen, you could say. No, we didn't. We didn't. But Watchmen definitely is an episode where I could have said much, much more. And one aspect that, that I really probably should have mentioned more is that it's a comic that is about superheroes as very negative presences, but it is still about superheroes. And the entire wave of superhero films that we had to endure or enjoyed in the past few years Enjoy. can still be definitely enjoy can still be read through the lens of watchmen as the most negative indictment of why do we need a superhero we don't need a superhero unless we're a film studio because they make loads of money for us watchmen as the beginning of revisionist superhero stories presenting superheroes in a different light but also making the way for the dark and gritty superheroes that have become such an important part for films as well. That is something that sets this apart from other 
important comics and that's something we should have mentioned. One of the things I'm looking forward to most this year is the release of Captain America Civil War and it will be interesting to see how they deal with that and basically Watchmen is in the background of that. Even when I go to the cinema in May and buy my huge bucket of popcorn and my bucket of Coke Zero, I will probably be reminded of Watchmen. I, I, I cannot unsee it now. Next on our list was A Midsummer Night's Dream, the first Shakespearean piece we discussed. Oh boy. We had a great discussion about its literary or theatrical worth, whether it was worthy of the bard or not. But one aspect that we maybe didn't touch upon was its status as a Shakespearean comedy, that Shakespeare did not only write this one comedy, that he wrote many other comedies. In general, Shakespeare as a comedic writer should receive more attention. Shakespeare was not only the guy who gave us to be or not to be, or Lear or Macbeth, he was also the guy trying to come up with jokes and being kind of funny while still being kind of deep. I actually attended a lecture on Shakespeare's comedies this semester where we went through each comedy for one or two sessions of the lecture. And I think I realize I just don't like most of them. But that's the thing. All these comedies are best if you consider them not only to be funny, because let's face it, we don't laugh about the same things that people in the 16th and 17th century laughed about. Except dick shows. Yeah, dick jokes still slay. But there's still problematic elements. Humor always comes from some sort of controversy, some sort of discrepancy. And these things are still there. And it's very interesting that especially in the later plays like The Tempest or A Winter's Tale, Shakespeare noted that there is something sad or even tragic about it. Next, we went in a very different direction with my favorite book, American Psycho. That made me realize how fucked up you really are. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But I also realized why I love this book so much. Even before we did the episode, I was reminded of American Psycho in some way, basically every day. I think there's a lot more I could say about American Psycho, but maybe approach me in the pub one day, buy me a drink and ask me, so what exactly do you think happened when he tried to cook these women? Did he actually do it or not? I still think that American Psycho is another example of people misreading stuff we mentioned oh very much so we mentioned fight club in the episode and i still think the films of martin scorsese are the poster child for people misreading things overlooking the criticism inherent in the portrayal of giant dickish male assholes dickish assholes dickish assholes it's an interesting anatomy there (laughs) as snobbish as it might sound the problem is people who are very very dumb thinking that they are very very smart and then these people read american psycho or watch the films and think oh yeah you know i get what's actually going on but like all yeah all these other people oh they they don't get it shut up next on our list moby dick is moby dick a dickish asshole (laughs) He's certainly an asshole. I don't have much to say about that. I think we covered most. It's interesting that this year, an adaptation not of the book, but of the real events that inspired the book. That is about the most pointless film I could imagine. It's like taking a nice vegetable that was grown on ground, fertilized with manure, and then eating it, shitting on a plate and saying, oh, you know, I brought it back to its sources as manure. Thank you, that was pointless. Can I please have another vegetable? Our next entry was a modern American classic, or a book that purported to be an American classic, Americana. In that episode, we really tied ourselves into knots, didn't we? We kind of apologized for being white and male about 50 times? I don't know. 
A friend of mine brought up a really interesting point to me. She said, don't worry about it. You know, this book was actually written for people like you. You think that it's written for people who experience this, but no, they already know all of these things. This book is meant to be a masterclass in things that you don't know because you don't experience them. So actually, we are the perfect audience for this book. We are the people who should read this book in order to learn something about a life experience that's very different from ours. I still don't think I like Americana that much as a book, but it is one of those discoveries of the podcast that made me think of it many, many times afterwards. It is maybe a good guidebook to trying to understand certain developments in a globalized post-colonial world for middle European Western guys like us. Speaking of white privilege, our next uh, episode was the James Bond episode on Casino Royale. That was my absolute favorite episode to record, I think. I was just about to say that. At the same time, it might have colored our judgment a bit that we had those lovely, lovely martinis you made us. Because we gushed so much about the book. I still think it's a good book. No. It's an enjoyable book. Not no. good necessarily, but enjoyable, definitely. But we, st I mean, we said that, but you can't say it often enough. How horribly sexist, racist, white privilege the James Bond novels really are. And that is something that even the films, even to this day, are still dealing with. Even a film like Spectre still is haunted specter see what i did there <laughs> is haunted by that and james bond is enjoyable as a book series and as a film series but you can enjoy it despite or including these horrible aspects you cannot ignore them you cannot apologize for that so we shouldn't have tried i would like to say though that i think somebody who does sort of not entirely, but who tries to make up for it is Daniel Craig. Because Daniel Craig is simply a lovely man who sometimes just speaks truth to his interviewers and says, yes, of course, James Bond is horribly sexist. I play a terrible person. I would just like to mention the fact that already this summer, I called it that John Boyega is one of my prime candidates to take over as James Bond. And certainly... After the great success of Star Wars Episode 7, I think his, the likeliness of a black James Bond with John Boyega in the lead have increased a thousandfold. So when he becomes the next James Bond, just going to say, I called it. I called it. Or you know what? We only talked about the possibility of a black Bond, but there's also, of course, the possibility of a female Bond. I think we agree who it should be. Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Come on. Yeah, definitely. If you have any... Emily Blunt. It's just Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Call us. <laughs> Casino Royale is also interesting because there we started what became a bit of a tradition. Namely that we didn't agree on what book we would read next, but rather that we would make it a surprise for the other one. When I suddenly decided to read The Secret Agent rather than something else. The Secret Agent episode is maybe kind of overshadowed by the glorious drunkenness of Casino Royale. But I'm still glad that we did it. And I'm still glad that we mentioned this book for what it is. It is still one of the best books, I think, that we read on the podcast. Not always the flashiest one, but one that had the most substance, where style and content really came together. It is also 
quite interesting because it is at this joint between Victorianism and modernism. And we mentioned that we focus more often on our postmodern perspective, or at least a more modernist perspective. And the secret agent is interesting because it feels so incredibly modern, and yet it is a Victorian book. It deals with issues of the late 19th century. And we didn't really mention that, that many of these things, many of the questions, existentialist, society related, were asked then as well. So The Secret Agent is a good reminder that all of the interesting things have been part of literary history from the very beginning. In a couple of days I will actually be going to Greenwich, to the observatory, and I'm sure when I stand on that hill I will have to think of The Secret Agent. For our full dozen we invited our first guest onto the podcast, uh, our great friend Oliver. Hello Oliver. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. I think this was definitely one of the most fun episodes that we did. Yes, definitely. And it was really fun to have another person there to kind of interact with, to talk about things, to school you for your lack of knowing about science fiction. Though, you know, I was again surprised by the visceral reaction people had. And I would say I've softened somewhat in relation to Euromancer. Because I found, as I went through the year, I actually came back to it surprisingly often. It definitely is a book that has left its impression on me in some way. I think I had the opposite reaction. I reread it and I found many aspects to be kind of old-fashioned. And in the past few months when I had to think of William Gibson's writing, I thought maybe if I reread his other stuff, it won't be so great either. So maybe we're changing positions there. But it was definitely fun with Oliver and you can come back anytime. Call us, just like Emily Blunt. Also, uh, bring that uh, nice uh, pink gin again, because that was really lovely. The next episode was Goblin Market. I realized, actually, I don't read a lot of poetry, which is a shame. I think nobody really reads poetry. <laughs> I think that's a shame. Poetry is great. We should definitely do some more poetry episodes. Especially because I really liked Goblin Market as an episode. I think that was one of my favorite episodes, because we really reached a point where it was routine, but in a good way, where we could just meet each other, talk about it very briefly, and then discuss this poem in a lot of detail with lots of different perspectives. Goblin Market remains one of my favorite episodes to do. And then next we had the first episode where we simply said, okay, you're not going to know what I will say for the next book. And then I hit you with Twilight, which you didn't want to read, really. And it was surprising that we sort of ended up on the same position, that we both didn't really mind it that much. Again, I think I have to say the same thing as with Casino Royale, though. This is not a good book. It really isn't. It really, really isn't. And it should be mentioned that we kind of defended people who liked Twilight and the unfair criticism regarding it but it's neither well written nor does it have a good message so yeah we understand why it's successful there could be worse but that doesn't mean it's good just don't bully the people who like it pity them maybe and our next episode was the 120 days of Sodom which I do not want to talk about any more than we already have another great discovery for me was our 16th episode sense and sensibility it's a shame really that I hadn't read any Jane Austen before this podcast, but hey, that's why we started it. And boy, oh boy, she really knew how to write. 
Jane Austen definitely has made a great impression on me, and I'm glad that I read it. <laughs> it's also a bit tragic to look back on this episode, since we spent so much of it doing impressions of Alan Rickman. And when he died, definitely I was sad, because he was simply a lovely person on his own, but also he was in some of my favorite films. And only because we had done this episode, Sense and Sensibility was one of those films that he was in. Alan Rickman will always be Colonel Brandon. But regarding the book, what I should have brought up more was how deeply conservative Jane Austen's vision really is, especially compared to The 120 Days of Sodom, which, despite its ridiculous nature, is also a much more radical book. Well, that's Come not on, very surprising you, that it's you, more radical. You could imagine Marianne being... No, no. I, I no, You know, I no, could, no, but no. I don't want to imagine that. So, no. <laughs> it's interesting that oftentimes my favorite arts, my favorite films, my favorite books are deeply conservative, even though I am completely not conservative. I, <laughs> I am sitting here in a 1920s vintage smoking jacket, so yeah, maybe I am a bit conservative. But with a very, very lowercase c. The next proper episode that we did was the second Shakespeare play, the Scottish play, Macbeth. In that episode, I recommended a film, as I'm wont to do quite often. A film I hadn't seen, and then a week later I went to see it, and actually, I still stand by that recommendation. It's a great adaptation, it doesn't do a lot of new things with it really, but it does the things that it does really, really well. And it is a masterclass in acting, both from Fassbender and Cotillard, everyone in the film really. So I want to reiterate that recommendation. And I want to say that that recommendation is total bullshit, because the film is an exercise in empty style, which tries to do new things with a very old play, and in some cases it even succeeds doing that, but in other cases doesn't really recognize what is being said. The original text is just being proclaimed, sometimes better, sometimes less good. I was really, really disappointed by the use of Marion Cotillard. I think she's an amazing actress, but she kind of suffers from dead wife syndrome, that she is used by American filmmakers in a way that echoes Inception, that she's just there to look pretty and interesting and exotic. And that film version I really didn't like. And it made me realize how much I like the play. That's a good thing. But I also think that there could be a much better film version. Just wait until the director's adaptation of Assassin's Creed with Michael Fassbender comes out. Then you will see how brilliant he really is. Another book that I really didn't enjoy was At the Mountains of Madness. And this is one why I didn't really reconsider. It's still just not very good. And people came up to me afterwards and said, Oh, you should have read this by Lovecraft. You should have read that by Lovecraft. You know what? I don't care. I don't feel like engaging with the guy anymore. Yeah, that is a pity, and I think I fail as a Lovecraft fanboy, as I mentioned before. At the Mountains of Madness was really the wrong book, maybe, to introduce someone to it. It makes sense if you've read other stuff by Lovecraft before, because there are many things come together that are typically Lovecraft. But for someone who doesn't share that same experience, it is not the perfect book. Start with other stuff. Start with the shorter pieces. Start with Call of Cthulhu. And I think even someone like Jonas will see that Lovecraft has something really interesting to him. I just started reading, by the way, a new comic by Alan Moore called Providence, which deals with Lovecraftian themes. And so far, I really like it because it is entirely un-Lovecraftian. 
It takes up many of the topics, many of the names. It's typical for more. It's very erudite and very referential. The true secrets of America are much more interesting and horrible than the monsters or tentacles that Lovecraft writes about. Speaking of tentacles, we are having Kraken Black Spiced Rum at the moment. The only German book we did in our podcast was The Trial by Franz Kafka. People often ask me, hey, why do you study English literature? Why not German literature? My standard answer is, well, have you ever read German literature? It's dreadful. That's not true. There are it many, is true. There are it many true. amazing German authors. There are just less of them than in English literature. And I think Kafka is interesting because he's the one German author who has really influenced British literature, international literature. He's the one real export that Germany has produced in the past 500 years that is of interest to anyone today, internationally. That book is still amazing. And it made clear this tendency that we talked about before, the role of existentialism, the meaninglessness or meaningfulness of human life. Well, the Kafka episode really brought that to the forefront of our minds. After that, we read another graphic novel, Fun Home. And if I had to choose between the two graphic novels that we talked about, I would definitely choose Fun Home. A much, much more enjoyable, enlightening, enlivening experience, I think, than Watchmen. And I already liked Watchmen, but I loved Fun Home. I'm kind of sick of Fun Home, to be honest, because I wrote and read so much about it. But you also wrote and read a lot about Watchmen, so are you not sick of Watchmen as well? In a different sense. With Watchmen, it's more that in the beginning that really struck me as something, oh God, that's so complex and dense and fuck you, Alan Moore, for having so many different things in there that you have to reread it all of the time. With Fun Home, you have to reread it to actually appreciate it as a comic as well. And then you go, oh, yeah, cool. What's new? So maybe that's just the jaded comics reader who's always on the lookout for a new fix. But Fun Home, I can't say anything better about it. It's great. Read it and then get on with it. The next two episodes are, without doubt, my absolute favorite episodes and probably the thing in life that I've done that I'm most proud of. The two episodes on the Harry Potter series with our lovely friends from Science Pi. Dennis and Annika, if you ever want to do an episode again, feel free to just ask because it was so much fun recording these with you. It was so much fun releasing them and to get the reaction from people. But there's so much more to talk about. So, so much more. Again, what Jonas said, Dennis, Annika, that was amazing. And it was also not to be expected because we had talked to Dennis before, but we didn't know whether this was actually going to work out, this kind of crossover with strange people. We hadn't even met Annika before recording the episode. And it was just the greatest experience, just sitting there talking about the books, having so much fun, making stupid jokes and still getting into the most meaningful and deep discussion we've had on the podcast before. These few minutes where we talk about our relationship to the thought of mortality and our different attitudes toward it and how that is reflected in the series, that is... That is something. That is something very special, yeah. But you mentioned there's many more things to talk about. And again, mentioning Alan Rickman, I think one thing is the character of Snape, which even after the episode, we mentioned that we didn't even get into it. And you have a few things to say about that. 
It's interesting that Snape is a very controversial figure in the fandom. While I see why some people say, oh, Snape is so misunderstood, Snape is actually a good guy, I also see why people say, oh, no, he's horrible, because, well, for example, the very fact that Neville's greatest fear in this world are not the people who tortured his parents into insanity, but his potions teacher is really fucked up. I know uh, some of my friends are Snape defenders. They say, oh, but Snape is a lovely person. I think he's very creepy and I don't really like him, even though he turns out to be a good, in inverted commas, character at the end. Say what you want about Snape, and I probably agree with you in that regard. He feels like a standout character. He is a really necessary character for the whole series. And with Alan Rickman's iconic performance, that has probably increased. So Snape is one of the characters that... Rowling really made probably immortal to a certain degree. So whatever you think of him, Snape makes the series. We didn't talk about Rowling either. She's a very interesting author on the one hand because simply she is one of the most successful authors of all time. One of the few people to become a billionaire simply from book royalties and one of the few people to stop being a billionaire because she gave so much away to charity. I met her once actually when I was... I think eight years old, I went to a reading. You know, I pushed my way to the front of the queue and suddenly I stood in front of her and I was so scared. I was so in awe of this woman who had given me so much already at this point, even though only three of the books were released. And she just looked at me and she waved me closer to her and I gave her my book to sign it. And she was so genial and nice. And she was in this strange town in this strange country where she didn't speak the language. That was incredible. I've met several authors in my life, but the very few seconds that I have with J.K. Rowling are definitely something that is burned into my memory. She's also a difficult person, though. Also, I kind of dislike Rowling's inability to let go of her creation. She really keeps acting as if she has something to say about it as the author, as if she, her opinion is more valid than others. But the author is dead, as we know from Roland Barthes, so Frank Rowling could maybe do with not talking about Harry Potter so much anymore. We'll still move on to our next episode, the most recent book we read, and the one where our opinions, again, kind of diverged. The First Bad Man by Miranda July. It's, again, probably not the best selection from last year, but I still think it's a very, very interesting book. Many aspects of this unconventional story, unconventional characters, unconventional love story to a certain degree. These are things that still surprise me that even in 2015, things like that can actually surprise you, can take you and make you see people and their relationships in a new light. So it might not be the best novel out there, but it is a great novel to show you that literature is not dead. Literature is still going on. And even despite our tendency to talk about films and TV shows, there's a reason why we are talking about literature and what literature does for us. What I had to think of a lot is your accusation that I'm being unfair when I expect adults to have their life at least a bit together and reserve the right to be a fuck-up for 20-year-olds. And you know what? I have to agree with you there. Because in the past weeks I thought a lot about people who are at various stages in their life and don't know where they want to go. And I think I got a bit more relaxed about it, even though the year is very young. In 2016, I've already started saying, you know what? None of us know where we're going. 
And that's okay. Maybe I was a bit harsh on Cheryl Glickman for not having her life in order by the time that she's in her mid-40s. You don't have to have your life together. Ever. Really. And I don't expect I will ever really know what my life is all about. But just sort of muddle through. Continuing this line of existentialism, really. Which also brings us to the next book, 1984. It feels kind of strange, and we made that comparison that 1984 is the distant past to us in 2016. 2016 sounds much more sci-fi than 1984 ever did. But what I realized is that the iconic nature of the book, maybe it's not just the way that Orwell put it. Maybe we were kind of harsh towards his ability to describe society. If you take it at face value as a political system, then it is still ridiculous. But he had a way, a knack of describing certain fears. And these fears are more prevalent than ever may not just be the fear of an overbearing state whose surveillance system is kind of suppressing everyone, but just the notion of politics in general, the chaos and the repressive order of politics. These are things that I'm afraid to say might play a very big role in 2016 in Germany, in the UK, in the US, in the whole of Europe, in the whole of the world. Let's see whether 2016 is maybe closer to 1984 than we can imagine. Something that we forgot to mention in the episode is that you are an exact lookalike of Edward Snowden, of course. He definitely revealed that our world is a bit more like 1984 than we would like. So, um, Edward, if you ever want to be on the podcast, feel free. Call us. And we would like to know what kind of literature you read. You know what? Edward Snowden would be an amazing guest on any podcast. I would like to hear Edward Snowden on any kind of podcast. Wherever Edward Snowden wants to comment, just, just, just do it. Edward, start your own podcast, please. Together with Emily Blunt. Oh yeah, Emily, call us. And finally, episode 25. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which we recorded uh, about an hour ago. You get a look behind the magician's curtain there. <laughs> We're not magicians, thankfully. I think the only thing that we didn't really mention in that episode was that it was the second book that we read that was obviously humorous. And isn't that kind of sad that most great literature, which is what is in our mission statement, is so dire, is so dark and features so much rape? Well, as I mentioned, comedy doesn't have to be just light and trivial. Comedy can be very cutting and it doesn't have to be sarcastic to do so. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy showed us that you can still talk about the bleakness of existence, the meaninglessness of the universe and still be goddamn funny. That is another thing that really strikes me as something in the works that I liked during the podcast where things come together in new and original ways, where you are presented with a worldview that you maybe had considered before, but not in the way that the book made you think about it. 25 episodes, 25 or even more books. It's been a great run, I think. Looking back on this year, I think it's really incredible. I remember how we sat in the cafeteria of our university and I said, Hey, why don't we do a podcast? Because we both like podcasts, we both like literature, that would be a good thing. And then we just did it. And we didn't really know how to do it. We went with Dennis. Thank you, Dennis, for helping us get started. You made all of this possible. And then we just started doing it and people reacted to it. And it's always incredible when somebody comes up to me and says, oh yeah, I listened to your podcast, I liked it. I recently found out that some of my students 
found my podcast as well before I told them about it. I don't want to know what that did to their perception of me in class. <laughs> but all in all, it's been a great experience. And it's been a great experience to meet you every other week to talk about literature and to have this very intimate connection. And it's been great to get to know all your verbal tics and to learn to hate them with a passion. Yeah, yeah. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, yeah. To all you listeners out there, if you ever come up with a drinking game for our podcast, please let us know because I think we have a good guess which ones get you drunk the quickest. I have two questions for you, Christian. This is the end of our first year. We're at the beginning still of 2016. What do you want for the future? What do you want for this podcast to do in the future? Many of the things that I would like to happen are things we already did, that we can still do this every two weeks if our schedule isn't too busy and we're just having fun. This still doesn't feel like work. This still doesn't feel like a chore. This feels like having a fresh perspective and really making the most of it, being introspective, being deep while just having fun and talking and spending time with each other. And I would like that to continue. Maybe we can still spread out. Maybe, for example, we can actually go into other areas on the globe, talk about literatures from other cultural areas, other languages. A professor recently, when I mentioned the podcast in class, which I want to do quite often, said, it's amazing how two basically educated, liberal young men can come up with such a conventional canon of literature to discuss on their podcast. That's something I would like for this next year, to spread out, read some more books that are not written by old white dead dudes. These other people, those, those, those women, I believe they're called, and maybe also those people who are not exactly like us. They actually spin a good sentence or two as well, I've heard. You're talking about French people, aren't you? Our experience with French literature on this podcast has been very difficult so far. <laughs> Maybe we're going to find something that isn't deeply, deeply disturbing in French literature. My other question is not the question looking forward, it's the question looking back. Out of those 25 books that we've read, which is the one that you would say you have to read? Which is the one that you would tell our listeners... If you don't read any of the other books we've discussed, this you should read. Well, that goes to show how little effect the podcast had in the end, because I would still have to go with Lolita. It is my favorite novel, and talking about it made me realize that there are many perspectives, many perspectives that don't agree with mine, thankfully. That is a very good introduction point for great literature, because it is great literature, that makes you think, that makes you angry maybe, that entertains you and gives you something to talk about. And that is what we're all about. So still Lolita. For me, it would have to be Sense and Sensibility. Now, I know that Jane Austen doesn't need me to advertise for her. She's quite popular as it is. And she's dead. True, she is, unfortunately. But it's really great. And I never felt like I had to read Jane Austen because on some level I'm still influenced by society. And I'm a guy, you know? Um, Jane Austen is for girls and I don't have to read that. Which is such a stupid thing to think. If you are like me, if you've never read Jane Austen, and if you think, oh, why should I? You should because it's great. Read Jane Austen, it will enrich your life. You should, because we tell you to. And we are the authority. Two 
white dudes with more or less valuable academic degrees sitting in a living room in Germany telling you what to read and what not to read. But that's the great thing about it. We are not special. We're not better than you. We are just two people who have an opinion who think about certain things in a certain way. We are sometimes surprised, sometimes disgusted, sometimes we're very set in our opinion, but we have an opinion. And the only difference is that we are the ones talking about it into a microphone. And if you have a different opinion, why don't you let us know? Write an email to outsideofadogcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, rate and subscribe. You know the drill, you know the drill. There's a couple of people who I would like to thank. Firstly, even though we've mentioned it already, all of our guests... Annika Brockschmidt, Dennis Schulz and Oliver Plaschka, you were great. Come back anytime. And we're looking forward to having more guests in the future, obviously. But also some people behind the scenes. For example, Congruent Epithion on Tumblr. She was one of our first fans, one of our first champions, and it's always lovely to read her reblogs of our episodes where she really, really, really encourages people to listen to our podcast. I know that you probably disagree with me on Snape, but it's great to have you as a fan and as a kind of friend as well. And yes, our friends, who are the people who are basically obliged to listen to this, but still the people who are the best source of feedback, who are the people who are not afraid to tell us if we talk bullshit or tell us what books to read next and so on. So this is still a kind of a family operation, you might say. And everyone who helped us do what we're doing right now, you know who you are. Give yourself a big hand. And also thank you to somebody who is behind the scenes, who you do not hear from, really, but whose influence you can still detect in our podcast. Marcus Bull, a great friend of mine from school, who not only designed our great dog logo, but who also offered to sort of go over our audio files and sort of improve the sound quality so they don't sound really shitty with different levels. <laughs> I hope you can hear that, dear listeners. <laughs> so thank you, Marcus, for being the greatest sound engineer that we could wish for. Well, basically, you're the first one who hears every episode, and it's great to have your feedback and to hear your reaction to our discussion as well. And the dog looks great. So that is it for our first year. Quite a lot of things we did, but as we said, we will continue. And Jonas, what is the next thing on our agenda? What will we start the second year of Outside of a Dog with? Well, I thought for the beginning of the second year, we should go back to the beginning of the first year. For our next episode, we're going to read a book that we initially considered for the first episode, but then we decided against it. Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. <laughs> We've already agreed that we're going to hate it. We will. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Welcome to Ito. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, um, 25 episodes doesn't mean that I know how to say the introduction. <clears throat>